Welcome to the Journal of Family Planning and Reproductive Healthcare podcast. This month, we're going to hear a call for the development of a new form of birth control. I'm Kate Guthrie, a gynaecologist in Hull in England, with a special interest in family planning. And I'm joined by Elizabeth Raymond, who co-authored the journal article. Beth, could you introduce yourself? Hi, Kate. I'm Beth Raymond. I'm a gynecologist, or I, I used to be a gynecologist, and now I'm a scientist working at Genuity Health Projects, which is a uh, reproductive health and technical assistance organization located in New York City. I've been uh, working, doing research in contraception for decades um, now, and uh, primarily focus most recently on emergency contraceptive pills. Could you just run past me? How would you describe what your paper's really about? Well, as you mentioned, it's it's really about an idea. My co-authors and I felt like women need more options than they have now for preventing uh, unintended pregnancies. So we wrote this paper to advocate for the development of a new type of fertility regulation method. Why did you and your co-authors feel you needed to write this paper right now? Well, the currently available methods, as you know, are all, they all have to be used before sex. And we thought a method that a woman could use after sex would be useful. Some people find that obtaining and using contraception before they have sex can be challenging. They, they forget or they get carried away or they just like to be spontaneous and they might appreciate having a method that they could use after sex. What, what do you think would be the challenges in developing this kind of contraceptive method? Because it's, it's very different from what we have available just now, as you just said. But let me explain first what sort of the key difference here is. All currently available contraceptives are designed to act before fertilization. Condoms, for example, do this by blocking sperm from getting to the egg. Birth control pills and other hormonal methods do this by preventing uh, ovulation, preventing the egg from being released from the ovary. But they all have to be active before fertilization occurs. So, the, so what we're talking about here is a method that would act after fertilization has occurred, after the sperm has fertilized the egg. And there would be several challenges in, de in developing a method like this. One would be technical. We'd have to find a drug regimen that would actually do this. That is a challenge, but we expect that that's doable. The bigger challenge here is political. A method that acts after fertilization would be considered by some people to be an abortion method. And you know that raises a lot of concerns among some people. So to be clear, we're talking about something here that's very different from what we call emergency contraception. Well, it's different in some ways and similar in some ways. A woman uses emergency contraception also after she has sex. But the most commonly used kind of emergency contraception, which is levonorgestrel-based emergency contraceptive pills, as best as we know, seem to work either entirely or certainly primarily by preventing ovulation. So they, if a woman takes those pills after ovulation has occurred, they don't work. Which is why these kinds of emergency contraceptive pills need to be taken fairly promptly after sex, within a few days. 
if we had a, a type of method that, that could work after fertilization, then the woman could use it more than a couple of days potentially after sex. So it would be useful to more women and it would prevent more unintended pregnancies and it would, it would be more effective. One idea is that a woman could take this on a, a, a scheduled basis, once a month or something, regardless of how many sex acts she had before that, she would just take this on a, like a once a month pill or, or so. Another idea would be that she could take it only when she missed her period. So she's expecting her period tomorrow and she tomorrow comes and it's, it, it's, she doesn't get her period and then the next day it's, she still doesn't get it, so she takes this pill. For women with regular menstrual cycles, that may happen only a few times a year. So she wouldn't necessarily need to take this pill every month. Potentially, depending on how it worked, it, she could potentially even take it just a few times a year. And that might be of real interest to people who don't want to use contraception, you know, most of the time. So we're looking at the potential for a family of drugs that's nothing like what we have and what's available at the moment. And uh, do you envisage these methods for women to you know, use at home in their own home environment? Well, that would be the ideal. Yeah, we'd want to ideally what we would we would develop a method that that women could keep with them at home and use it as they needed it without the immediate assistance from any kind of trained clinician. Um, and in order to have such a method, it would have to be safe. So we'd have to um, develop a drug regimen that would be more than just safe. It would also have to be quite effective and it would have to be convenient. Um, what makes us think that that's doable is that we know that current methods of uh, medical abortion actually do meet those criteria. They are convenient and safe and, and effective. And the earlier they're used in, in the pregnancy process, the more effective they appear to be. Now, nobody's really tested or done a lot of work on, on using those particular drugs. So medical abortion uses mifepristone and misoprostol, two different drugs, and they're taken at least a day apart. Most women who are coming to get a medical abortion don't come to, the, to their clinician very, very early in pregnancy. So there's not a lot of experience using medical abortion drugs very, very early in pregnancy. But, you know, it would, it would certainly seem like it might be reasonable to think that some version of those drugs might be useful for this purpose. Have you, has anybody done any pre-work on how women might feel about this? Oh, well, interestingly enough, a paper was just published on that topic. But we have a lot of reason to think that this type of method would be acceptable, at least to some women. A, a, a while ago, um, one, one of your prominent colleagues from Scotland did a study, this was about 20 years ago, um, in which he asked women whether they would accept a method like this, and a fair proportion of them did. Then coincidentally, just like a week or two ago, another paper was published in which um, over a thousand women were surveyed in five countries in Europe, and again, a respectable proportion of those women said that they would accept a method like this. But I think we need to keep in mind that this, this method that we're advocating for doesn't have to be acceptable to every woman. No method is acceptable to every woman.
well, that would certainly be very refreshing if the changes in care were women-driven as opposed to women receiving what they were given. I think eventually when women want something, it, it, it's doable. And I think what we need to do is sort of convince policymakers and funders of this notion. And that's partly why we wrote this this paper, to try to get that conversation started, because it hasn't really been out on the table up till now. I think it's interesting that um, if you look at clinical abortion services in the UK, because our, our data is monitored, is that women are now turning up really early with positive pregnancy tests. They're clearly doing a positive pregnancy, or they're clearly doing a pregnancy test which turns out to be positive the day their period is due. So this supports your thesis mm -hmm. that and, um, right. women are either, well, women are in some way being let down or letting down existing methods of contraception, i.e. Mm -hmm. they're not using it. Um, therefore, they're, they're taking risks. Therefore, they do the pregnancy test early and then they mm -hmm. have a pregnancy they need to deal with. So in a, in a roundabout way, that very much supports the thesis that there's a gap here in, uh, in our contraceptive provision, or should we say mm -hmm. our fertility control provision, Mm -hmm. which will never be met by the forward planning required with mm -hmm. the routine and currently available methods of contraception. And by definition, these women have not, they've either, they've either chosen not to use or have been failed by um, the oral methods of, of emergency contraception. Mm -hmm. Well, that's I exactly guess. right. I, it's, that's, that was our thinking. We're, we're hoping that this paper will inspire some thinking on the part of other scientists and advocates, and then they'll start talking about it, and then maybe, you know, we can make some progress. As was the one anxiety about this, which sounds like a really good idea, I just feel mm -hmm. the biggest challenge will be the moral or ethical challenge. Maybe not the women themselves, because you say they will select, but of mm -hmm. the public and of our political masters. Mm -hmm. about permitting this line of even even this line of research uh, mm -hmm. never mind implantation in right. place well you know my my co-authors and i spent some time thinking about how to deal with that and we propose in our paper actually some ideas for how to kind of help get over that hump <laughs> that perception hump one is that we in the family planning community need to stop extolling pre-fertilization mechanisms as a good thing. We've done that a lot, particularly in trying to get acceptance for emergency contraceptive pills. We have emphasized very strongly the fact that these pills seem to work primarily or entirely before fertilization. So they are not aborifacient. We've done that because of this exact um, opposition that you're referring to. But by doing that has some bad effects. It kind of implies that something that works after fertilization is bad. We have to stop doing that, I think. Something that works after fertilization is not necessarily bad for all women. In fact, a method that works after fertilization would be more effective. A point related to this is that many of the most effective contraceptives that we use now actually do have, we believe, some post-fertilization effect. Intrauterine devices, for example, that's clearly true for. 
people have postulated that hormonal methods cause profound changes to the endometrium, for example. Now, whether those changes are sufficient to prevent implantation is not entirely clear. And even breastfeeding has been postulated to have effects, hormonal effects that prevent pregnancy, even in ovulatory cycles. So the methods, some of the methods that we use widely now and that are the most effective methods have or may have post-fertilization effects. So this is good. And we should potentially make the politicians and funders aware of these, th these facts. And maybe that would help make them less scared, I guess, of this kind of idea. I think the best way to really do this is to start working and start developing this type of method and to do some of the, the kinds of research into acceptability that, that we were talking about earlier, because success breeds success. So we need to find a, a funder who will support some preliminary work in this area as a start. I think that's the most important thing. Beth, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about this article. And it's now available on the journal website. 